Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 72 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I am joined today by my friend, Tom Morrison, based out of Northern Ireland. Uh, and one of the cool things about this is I have a long list of fitness professionals that I, I actually want to get on the podcast that I want to share with everybody in the future. And Tom was one of those people on the list and, you know, just a little casual chit chat or whatever. It's like, shit, man, I really have to get you on. So here's a link. Let's get you booked in in a busy schedule. And I'm really grateful to have you here today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So it's <laughs> evening time for me. I'm starting to wind down and you're just getting started. <laughs> That's right. Different time zones. And a little bit about you. You are, like I said, you're based in Northern Ireland. Uh, you're a coach, uh, a fitness writer, a mobility teacher, which is the best way I could articulate what, you know, a lot of your media is around. Uh, you have a, a successful YouTube channel, and you are a fellow T Nation alum, in addition to writing for other publications like uh, Breaking Muscle. So great to have you on. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. The nicest guy in fitness, literally, like your content is just so amazing and just oozes authenticity and just, you know, spreading the good message of just being fit and it doesn't matter what level you're at. So I absolutely love that. You are my people as well. So it's all just about getting people moving better, no matter what level they're at. And that's the message that you try and send out as well. I appreciate the kind words and I try to bounce <laughs> that right back at you in that, you know, there's a lot of different determinants that go into, you know, I get to interview one person a week. Uh, and there's an industry full of thousands and thousands of people. And it's the positive, good nature that someone puts out there. Uh, being an educator is a really critical component to, you know, how I bring people on. And I actually really like your stuff. And obviously, I first came across your work via T Nation. You know, I've been reading it for years and writing for them for the last three. So I tend to have my thumb on the pulse of who else is writing with us, right? And yeah. so your stuff is, is really fun, and especially you really come to life on video because you're very animated in this stuff. But, yeah. And, and again, mobility is, is really forefront in your meeting, your work. So let's dive into that. Um, I'll just go right at it. What do people need to know about mobility? And, you know, are there any important misconceptions, uh, certainly with our general population clients uh, or, or the audience in general that they have about mobility? It's important. The importance is so much of all over body and understanding where your own limitations are because so many people don't care about their mobility until they hurt something. And then it all come, becomes about the one thing that they hurt whenever there could have been multiple reasons for why they hurt the thing. So if say it's a knee injury, be quite common, could have been because of their hip, could have been because of their ankle, could have been because they don't have any awareness of their hamstrings. It could have been because their balance is terrible and they were trying to do lunges as an exercise and they just weren't properly ready for it. So it's really about stripping everything back and understanding where you need to start. And that's really where we go with a lot of our content with and um, with our content, it's, you know, it's, it's taught in a way that should be so simple that, you know, if you can't do this, it's a big deal, you know? And um, so I want you to get this stage. If you're watching our videos going, is that supposed to be hard? And it's like, yeah, that's good. You don't need me. That's great. Whereas if you're watching, I'm going, I can't do that. I can't stand on one leg. And it's like, why are you lifting weights? You know, and it's, you know, there's just such simple, simple stuff that, you know, stops so many issues because that's what happened to me in the past whenever I first started um, training because I didn't actually start until I was quite late on. I was in my mid twenties before I actually took any interest in training. I didn't have this mad athletic background. A lot of people would have. And um, I don't think it might be something to do with where we are from. So Northern Ireland, we don't really care about sports so much. You know, it's, uh, it's not in green 
ingrained into you in school or anything like that so uh you kind of just grow up and you know you drink on the street corner that's what you do when you're a kid you know so there was no sort of like movement or anything so um i decided whenever i was about 24 years old it's like right i want to be a martial artist now i'm gonna go be a cage fighter and I just flipped the switch one day and decided to go from nothing at all to training six days a week, twice a day. And um, morning sessions would have been about three hours and an evening sessions, four hours plus, like every day. Um, and I made a lot of progress really, really quickly. And within just over a year, everything started breaking, started hurting my knee, my shoulder went, and then multiple times I hurt my back. My hips were limiting me. I couldn't squat properly. I couldn't, uh, there was just so many things I couldn't do. I couldn't extend my arms overhead and stuff. And then, um, I just thought that was normal. I thought everybody felt that, you know, I thought whenever you squat, your knees hurt and your back hurts. That's what squats do. Yeah. You know, keep on going, you know, and that was kind of the attitude, you know, well, no pain, no gain, you know, especially um, with cage fighters, you know, it's like, oh, he's part of the training. Of course you get injured all the time. You know, it's uh, normal. And uh, just as I started learning over the years, it's like, this is not normal. I don't know how to move correctly. And I thought it was just me. And then after I got seriously injured, it was a back injury. So I'm um, an L4, L5 disc protrusion and an L5, S1 disc extrusion and an impinged nerve as well, numbness down my left side. And uh, a weird one, I can't control the toes on my left foot anymore. And I ended up with drop foot at one stage, which is whenever you can't actually lift your foot up, you can't dorsiflex your foot. So it just trails along behind you. Mm. Freaky, freakiest thing you'll ever experience when you're looking at your foot going, move. And it just looks back at you and it just doesn't move. It's like, uh-oh, something's not right here. So uh, yeah, I went through all that. And then um, started to realize how bad my hip mobility was, started to realize how bad my balance was on one side. I noticed how twisted I was because one of the very first injuries I ended up with was a knee injury. And uh, all the compensations that came off the back of that led to so many other things. So I hiked up at the hip and then that made me walk with a limp pretty much for a year. And then I finally got the operation to get the knee sorted, but that limp had still stayed. So in my wedding video, you can actually see me limping around the place. And uh, then after that, it was just a matter of time until I was just doing back squats one day and just pop my back went. And uh, yeah, it just ended up being this person that was ridiculously enthusiastic about training and found this entire new lease on life of like, I love this. This is the life I want to have to then having it taken all away almost immediately because I couldn't look at a dumbbell without hurting myself. So that's really what led me down the path of going, right, okay, some people are fine, but other people, they're not so fine and they need to do a bit of work first before they can train like everybody else. There's a few misconceptions wrapped up in, in mobility training as well. And I think, you know, I think, I think a lot of the coaches would have probably heard this definition. I was at a Dean Somerset seminar yet yesterday in town here at Edmonton, scientific applications of mobility training. And one of the first things he points out is the difference between mobility and flexibility. And a lot of people conflate the two, they're related, but I would best describe, and, and Dean did and other people have, flexibility as your passive range of motion at joints that you can get moved into. And mobility is your ability to control and work into those end ranges. And if there's, on normal people, there is a usually a small gap in terms of where you can kind of stretch them into versus where they can actively control themselves. You can get into trouble when you have large gaps where you cannot control movement. And especially if you turn around and load heavily into that range of motion that you're not in control of, you don't have active control of. Uh, a good example would be a, a heavy back squat, right? If you have yep. <laughs> poor ability to control your lumbar spine as you get really deep and you're repetitively loading over time heavy into that range of motion that you're not in control of, that probably increases the, the likelihood of injury risk. Uh, there's, there, there's weird 
there's this weird tribe now that's waving around this data that says that there's no relationship between, you know, exercise form, whether it's good or bad and an injury risk. And then usually the, the retort is, well, define bad form. It's like, okay, cool. Like I get, I know what you're doing. This is not a constructive conversation. And I, I don't find that particular narrative very helpful. Um, I think ultimately we do want to coach people to move well and get the best form possible within their individual ability to move. Uh, I wanted you to take that and elaborate on it further. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dean Somerset, incredible person to follow. Um, he just breaks everything down so, so well. He was one of the first people that ever really got me even tuned into mobility work. And um, yeah, like that's right on the button. If you can passively, so my business partner, Jenny, um, that's in the videos with me a lot, she's hyper mobile. So all of her joints can do way, hey, whatever they want. But for her, creating tension is one of the hardest things. And that is essentially what she had to spend years working on. She had to stop stretching at one point and just doing stability work and only focusing on that. Where I went wrong with my mobility, so I had restrictions, so I physically couldn't get lower in a squat. So I started aggressively, passively stretching, attaching a band around my hip and just trying to pull it out and do all this stuff and sitting in the pigeon stretch for 20 minutes at a time and then loading up a heavy barbell and starting to squat. And yes, I was getting lower, but there was no control in that bottom part. And that's another reason. So not only did I have really bad mobility and really bad um, ranges of motion, but then my approach for trying to fix that was also wrong. And that's something that you need to be so... Uh, careful about and making sure so anytime you improve a range of motion yourself as well if you're someone that's inflexible you need to make sure that you're bringing the stability along with it at the same time and it can take longer but it's smarter <laughs> you know you make sure you're actually backing yourself up so that this new range isn't the complete new range to you because if you're squatting to a certain depth for five ten years or whatever and all of a sudden you bring that down a couple of inches that's brand new tissue you've never used before in those ranges. So you can't just keep using the weights that you're using. You've got to back down a bit, not all the way. You'll be able to bring it back down a bit of 50% and then just have a start a new program and build yourself back up. And you'll generally feel better for that. Your recovery will be better. Your muscles will feel better. Your joints are going to feel a hell of a lot better as well. You know, so that's the kind of the way you need to think about things. Never just stretch, always think about stability. And that's probably what I would say when I work with people um, one to one in person, it's the thing I notice pop up more than flexibility issues a lot of people actually have a lot of the flexibility they need they don't have the control that they need so exactly what you were mentioned about going down into the squat there and um, they like to the bottom line can have no lumbar control that's what they're missing it's like your squat's fine you can't squat ass to grass that's because of your shape of your hips and um, you know that's a dean summer said has a great blog on that doesn't he yep he, um yeah. absolutely he's big on that yeah, so it's the shape of your hips. So you have to respect your anatomy. You can't stretch bone, you know, so you need to learn where your own squat can go to and then start to work from there, you know. Um, so like I do Olympic weightlifting, but I'm never going to have full ass to grass, butt touching the floor squat, but I can still have a below parallel chest upright squat for snatch for clean and jerk, you know, um, and I just have to make sure that I'm not trying to attain something that I can't have. So I can feel very strong in the ranges that I can have, but there's no sense in me trying to replicate what somebody else has, because that's where you're going to hurt yourself. You said something in there that I wanted to really grab onto. Often enough, most people have the, the range of motion to be able to do most of the things they want to do. We all know the exceptions that an, an injury sometimes can interfere with. That'll use me as an example in a moment. But we don't need to blindly work on additional flexibility or even, quote, mobility 
into ranges that we otherwise don't need to access in our everyday lives, in the exercise we do. I'm not an Olympic lifter. I don't possess the overhead mobility to get into position to do Olympic weightlifting anyway. And I have a left shoulder injury, just a nagging old injury that certainly restricts it further. So I don't need to do that. I would love to be able to do pull-ups again. I don't have access to that. I can do narrow grip chin-ups, no problem. I can't press shoulder press dumbbells out in a wide position anymore. feels terrible. But I can grab a narrower barbell or neutral grip dumbbells or Arnold press, and I can press overhead and I'm okay. So I've been able to modify things within my limitations, which I think is a lot more important. Now, of course, if you can deal with the injury with a professional who really knows what the hell they're doing, great. But we don't necessarily need to just blindly stretch and, and honestly static stretching outside of really long duration stuff doesn't do much to create enduring tissue change and, and additional flexibility anyway dean went over that in this course anyway kind of plug in dean's course but we also gotta make sure we plug your stuff too right because there's not <laughs> a lot of people out there really dedicated to and doing a lot of you know educating on mobility so you gotta ask do i need to be able to get in these ranges of motion now we also work with a lot of people, general population, history of injuries who are restricted and it would be beneficial to gain the mobility to do what they'd like to do. You mentioned um, your recovery from that serious disc injury. So I was going to just throw you out to do more or with that. Uh, and even about the, the fear, the, the fear people hold around lifting with back injuries, both having previously had back in, you know, back injuries and the fear of coming back around to it, or even just in general, the, these myths and ideas that, you know, if we lift heavy with our deadlifting or squatting, we're going to hurt our backs. So um, thoughts to elaborate on that. Yeah, that's, that's such a misconception thing. And I just don't think it's covered enough or taught enough with people. Um, or just the information is just not that easily accessible to people as well. Like it took me a long time to start figuring this stuff out and it was half um researching other people that have had spine injuries and you know people that have been in car crashes and everything had operations and surgeries and um, all the way to the rehab that went for them and then a lot of my own work of what i did with myself and then with other clients as well and like people that have had even worse injuries than mine it's like why are you totally fine and these other people that have you know half of the injury that you have they're crippled and they can't walk and they've given up doing what they love doing for and the thing that scares me especially with um, back injuries, is that if you get the wrong piece of information at the wrong time, you can give up your life. <laughs> and that sounds drastic, but I've met people that stopped training 20 years ago and did nothing because they believed their spine was made of glass and they were going to hurt themselves and they were going to re-injure themselves when they had a minor disc bulge and a bit of degeneration. It doesn't have degeneration, you know what I mean? You know, I'm in my mid-30s, you know, everybody's got degeneration. You start degenerating as soon as you're out, you know, it's um, just a normal part of the aging process, you know? Um, so yeah, the wrong piece of information at the wrong time can build something up in your head. And some people almost want to have a label that they can get attached to, to make them not want to try and fix themselves as well, which is kind of scary, you know, um, some things are just a descriptive turn, you know, so sometimes it's just like you have lower doses, it just means, okay, if the more accentuated lumbar curve, you know, do the couch stretch more often and try and stand up a bit straighter, you know, that's all you need to do. It's not something you're stuck with. It is literally a descriptive term of the way your spine is shaped, which is changeable through habits. Um, but yeah, in the terms of a disc injury, what you're really up against 
So the first, the first stage is you go through proper channels. You go to the doctor, you get an MRI scan, you see what's actually going on. After that, for me, it's right. Okay, what can I fix here? What, you know, I leave the lower back alone, but what else can I improve? Can I improve my hip mobility in any way? Have I missed anything there? Is there a difference between either of my hips? So for mine, my right hip, and this was before my back injury, my right hip did not rotate internally or externally at all. It just did not move properly. So every time I was essentially squatting, as you squat, your hips rotate in the socket. As you're going down, the head of the femur rotates. So as I was squatting, I was always shifting to one side. I was sending my hips off to one side all the time because I did not have that rotation there. I didn't know that. I was going up and down. My weight numbers were going up. I was getting stronger. Um, but that compensation was always there. And I would laugh it off whenever I was coming back up from the squat going, oh, look, I'm going sideways. Oh, look at the leg going uh, and I would just think it's funny you know um until you get seriously hurt and then you're like oh here hang on that's not so much funny anymore um so yeah and then other things outside of that um my right knee unbeknownst to me pointed inwards and my left one pointed forwards so um, my femur was actually rotated inwards as well so for me doing squats at that time was not a good idea so if I had known to fix that before I ever started doing squats and all forms of training crossfit essentially as well like um crossfit's not a good idea if you have mobility limitations it's just not you know um if i'd have known to fix that stuff first and work on my stability i probably would have got off a lot better you know so i don't begrudge the injuries that i got because they taught me a lot of stuff and they've allowed me to help a lot of other people and it's just a level of body awareness you can't get um until you've really really made that amount of pain when you try and tuck your chin and your lower back screams at you like that's you know when your spine's straight you know <laughs> it's a, it's a very good teaching tool pain can be a good teacher and again that's something that i think isn't taught enough so if you've went through a stage of not having pain for a while, so say you've been through a really, really traumatic, like cannot get out of bed without painkillers kind of pain, and then it goes away temporarily, and then it comes back again later on because of either stress or you moved, and we'll, we'll use the term incorrectly. There's no such thing as moving incorrectly, but if you're not prepared for a movement or your brain has essentially saved something that it deems dangerous when you move into it in a, like a rotation or um, a jerking movement fast and your back spasms that can just be something as simple as your brain going oh that might be that again that's let's hit the pain so it's not that you made anything worse it's literally that you have a pain trigger that is stuck there and if you avoid that movement if you start to avoid movements that starts to turn into more things that you avoid so like Think of it this way, if you even if you are in pain, so even if you can't get yourself 100% pain-free, would you rather be strong and move well and have a bit of pain? Or would you rather avoid absolutely everything and be stationary all the time and get weaker, lose more stability? What's that going to do for your pain? Which one in 10 years' time leaves you in a better position? So even if it was to take you a year or two years to get over a disc injury, it's worth putting in the effort and trying to find all the answers that you can to gain the knowledge that you need to actually fix yourself. And for a lot of people, it's that improvement of the hip mobility and the improvement of balance. Because balance for a prolonged period of time, this is something that a lot of people don't explain as well. They're looking for really, really um, fancy looking exercises. But if you balance on one leg for an extended period of time and you keep doing that, what starts to happen? You start to challenge your ankle stability. You start to challenge your knee stability, your hip stability, and your core strength. So balance is core strength. Every time you almost fall and then you don't, that's your body learning, that's your body getting smarter. And if your body's trying to focus on balance, then it can't give you the reason for pain. Now, this is very subjective as well, because if you've got someone that's never trained in a gym before and they've never done any form of exercise before and they have zero body awareness, you almost have to build that first before you can get into this stuff. But if you're someone that's already been training and you do kind of move kind of well, then you can essentially train your pain away from yourself. You can actually 
teach yourself how to relax the muscles better through moving and through breathing and actually relaxing your breath, relaxing the nervous system to stop the muscle spasms happening. And then if, cause everybody, you're bound to know people that have recurring back flare ups, like everybody does. And so, you know, the, the more you go through it and the more you have that approach with it, the faster you're able to get over the flare up until you really start to narrow down those things that regress on you. So one of the, one of the very first ever teenage tips I ever put in was the deep lunge test. And that is to test your deep hip flexion. So it's to basically stretch out your doctors to make sure you're able to sit into your own hips so that you're able to squat and deadlift without having to round your back. And um, so the marker is to be able to get your elbow down beside your heel. So what you would notice with someone that was going through a flare up, if they could normally do that, whenever they go into the danger mode and they're in a lot of pain, that range of motion would immediately regress. They would be halfway up their shin again. They wouldn't be able to get down. If they start to breathe and acquire the normal range of motion that they normally have again, then they're able to get over the pain a lot quicker. And again, it's something that takes practice and it's something that takes, you know, I don't like the suck it up princess attitude, but it is, it's character building. If you ever wonder why I'm a bit eccentric, it's, uh, <laughs> it's down to having lived with pain for so long um, and not being able to stand up straight or walk for a long period of time. It makes you kind of funky and it gives you a weird sense of humor as well. Um, but yeah, it's something that can be trained. So um, never think that you're stuck if you're up against something like that. So a back injury is very different to a shoulder or any injury, of course, you know, but it's, you're almost fighting against your brain and your brain will give you all kinds of signals and it'll make you imagine a spine that's crumbling. And, um, you'll just think that your top half's going to snap and fall off your bottom half. And you'll just be, you know, a torso crawling around the floor because your spine's so weak. And, you know, but like I said, if you get that wrong piece of information at the wrong time, like I was lucky that um, when I made myself pain-free, I was, I took me about a year to get my MRI. I was a hundred percent pain-free. I deadlifted 200 kilos on that Monday. Um, and I got the MRI that afternoon and I was like, well, I've waited this long. I'm going to get it now. I assumed it in my head. It was everything was fixed or whatever it had healed or um, it wasn't that bad. And then I got the results and it showed the alpha, the disc extrusion and the protrusion and everything like that and the impinged nerve and stuff. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense. And then I went for my consultation with the doctor and I went in and he says, you're going to have to think about a career change, Mr. Morrison. You're not going to be able to lift weights anymore and all this stuff. And I was standing there going, have you got the right person here? Like I've been, I've been having a great time. Like I, my hip mobility is so much better now. I've just PR'd my snatch. You know what I mean? And uh, so if I had got that information like right away, I might've stopped doing anything and that's not a nice place for me <laughs> and then you accumulate all the negative aspects like you said about not working out there is so much mm -hmm. in what you just said and i want to grab on a bunch of different things you started with just the language that people use like degeneration mm -hmm. and, and dysfunction and i personally am very very careful about not using language that makes people feel broken dysfunctional yeah. or damaged um at, with clients or in media in general especially things like degeneration, you mentioned how like, as we get older, we are in a constant state of degenerative, our, our discs in our backs are degenerative, but that doesn't mean that there's anything actually really wrong with this. It's just part of the natural process. Um, it, any further thoughts on care with the language that we use? Language, it is a, it's a very hard one. Um, and it's kind of the way I would approach things with teaching wise is, Hey, can you do this? No, haha, <laughs> that's good. Hey, let's work on it. You know, you'll be able to do this if you just practice. And that's the way I kind of like to go about it. It's not like you can't do that. You've no stability whatsoever. You can't, there's no way you can't even hold yourself up straight. You know, that's uh, that's a big deal, you know? And um, yeah. And it, dep it depends. Some people though, some people need that. Some people need almost the wake up call of saying here, 
you need to stop deadlifting for a while and sort your hips out because you're going to wreck yourself and they need that you know and then there's other people going you know here this would be a bit better for your programming for a little while so that you build up these elements first and then you can come back to that other stuff later you know um but yeah if you start to tell people those sort of things it's, it's like if anything i say like if you've ended up with a back injury and you know osteoarthritis anything like that now just even as you're getting older okay well, that means training becomes more important you need to make the muscles strong in order to support you and then you're going to feel better you know it, that's what i mean you know, as you get older you should put more focus on your training more focus on your nutrition because you can't get away with the same stuff that you did in your 20s you know the amount of gains that i made from the age of 25 to 30 was just ridiculous you know just everything was just if i looked at a barbell my everything grew it was great you know and as soon as you hit 30 you just as soon as you get up in the chair you're like oh <laughs> so you start making the noises and it's like okay now, now i need to put more focus in the stretch and mobility more often and then the noises go away again you get up out of the chair like a normal person again you know a lot of the coaches and teachers that i have like the favorite ones that i have they're in their 70s and what they're doing is they're juggling they're balancing and that's what they're focused on because they don't want to fall because they are at more risk of breaking a bone if they do fall so balance to them is the holy grail you know so that's something you don't want to ever lose and that's where you can see people when you meet them in their 60s for example and they almost shuffle the walk and they shift their weight from side to side. They don't, um, you know, they don't, they just don't walk well. And you can tell. And um, you basically, you could say to them, when's the last time you stood on one leg for a long period of time? And they can't tell you. And it could have been 10, 20 years. So their brains went, hmm, let's lock these hips up and let's stop letting the feet leave the ground as much. Let's make them shuffle. Let's make them hunch over so they're closer to the ground in case they do fall so it doesn't hurt as much. And that's essentially why that starts to happen. Whereas like I said, a lot of teachers I have, they're still very active and do stuff. It's they're balancing every day and they're walking around and they look, you know, you know, the, you ever seen the eighty-year-old granny that's walking through the city center with her shopping, knocking people over? You just they just go for it and get on with it, you know. Um, and then you've got people that are in their twenties that have had a bit of a back injury and they're they're scared to do anything. And it's like, are you trying to tell me that you're weaker than you know old Martha who's going through the street, you know? And they're doing these weird, crazy exercises as well. It's it's another big thing that you can end up, um, depending on who you go to, being given clamshells as an exercise to just activate the glutes. And they're just doing clamshells, clamshells, clamshells. They're doing like a thousand clamshells a day. Their back's always sore. And every time they train, they get like two weeks in, they're like, ah, my back's gone again. Clamshells, clamshells, clamshells. And it's like, when's the last time you did something for your doctors? When's the last time you did something that actually required you to have the balance to actually make your body think for itself? Because you're the clamshell champion. You could win the gold medal in clamshells you've missed something you know and so you know if i gave the clamshells to martha she her arse would be burning in about 10 minutes you know or 10 10 reps you know she wouldn't be able to do them but she has you know good enough balance and everything that she's able to walk around and move herself well there you keep throwing more stuff at it i, I would need two hours <laughs> to back everything there's another one i wanted to grab onto because it came up yesterday in the seminar too trainers coaches we are generally active we lift <laughs> you know we all have different kind of passions or whatever and you're going to end up with aches and pains and nagging things if you do this stuff long enough. And you kind of said it yourself too. Are you willing to accept that as a trade-off versus the eventual decline? And here I am using the language I, I said I don't. Degradation of just our, our physical, our emotional well-being by being sedentary. And we, we have a huge societal case study walking around all of the time to compare ourselves against. And for me, it's a no-brainer. I have a right knee that gets a little aggravated depending on what I do. It's always okay. I have a left shoulder that no longer has the same overhead mobility as my right shoulder. Um, 
I'm not sure what's going on. There may be a rotator cuff injury in there. Uh, there may be some labrum issues. I don't know. I'm able to do most of the things I want to do. So I'm, I don't let it stop me from going to the gym. Um, I haven't built an identity around someone who is injured or incapable or who is in pain. I actually feel great most of the time, except when I try to push into something that that shoulder doesn't really let me do. And it's certainly all the effort that I'm able to put into my training is good for my emotional well-being as well. And that ties into the, these practitioners or, or whoever you're talking to sending the wrong message at the wrong time that may discourage someone from being active. Yeah. And that's what you're doing is you're training smarter. You're acquiring more knowledge. So you're able to walk around. Oh, this is sore. Well, I have a hundred other things I can do today rather than, oh, this is sore. I'm going to wait two, three weeks until it stops being sore. Now I'm going to do everything I did beforehand anyway. That's where people end up. And that goes back and forth. Like I see people stuck. We, like we trained people for, you know, over five years. And I would see people going through that cycle, no matter how much I was preaching at them of how easy it would be to sort out their issues that, you know, two years, three years until they really hurt themselves again, just like I did. <laughs> they just won't listen until they get really, really set back. And then they have to listen. And I just want to change that. I just want to make people go like, here, if you sort this stuff out, you'll be pretty good. You know, you're not going to be bulletproof. No one's ever going to be bulletproof, but you'll be pretty good. You'll be able to get away with a lot of stuff. So you want to make your mobility as good as you can to the things that you want to be able to do. You know, if you don't want to do the splits, you don't need to do the splits. That's not mobility. It's advanced flexibility. And so you need to make sure that you have the mobility for the stuff that you like to do. And then you just focus on working on stability, making sure you're being sensible. And as you get stronger, then you take a day of the week away of training. You're lifting heavier in your sessions. So you need more recovery time. People don't seem to realize that, especially in their first few years, because the weights go up so easily. You know, you just, you get stronger, you get stronger, you get stronger, and you begins. And you're trying to still train five, six days a week like you did when you first started. But all of a sudden, you're, you're lifting a hell of a lot more weight than you did when you first started. And that's accumulating. So you need to, you know, like I said, acquire more knowledge, train smarter. So you need to know, right, I need to factor in that I need an extra rest day here. Or I need to change this day of training from being an extra squat day to only having, you know, two squat days a week instead of having three squat days, squat days a week because I'm lifting heavier each session as well. So um, in the grand schemes of everything that I do as well, like a lot of it is program analysis. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, there's no amount of stretching in the world that's going to save you from deadlifting four times a week. You know, <laughs> look at the loads you're doing here. You need to decrease them. You know, you're just absolutely going against sheer forces. You're wrecking yourself through your own training. Um, and then another thing as well is that sometimes, you know, people are doing the maddest, craziest stuff. They're foam rolling for every warm up for 45 minutes before they can even look at a barbell. It's like, yeah, you're going to lift heavy today. Let's relax ourselves. That makes sense. Um, this, uh, and they're going onto the barbell and <laughs> trying to lift heavy. Yeah, actually, and, uh, that, it's that came up at the seminar yesterday, too. It's, it's you know, parasympathetic versus sympathetic <clears throat> nervous system engagement. Yep. And you, if you're going to move heavy weight, you actually got to jack up your sympathetic nervous system, right? Yeah. Let's do some so, vertical jumps. Let's, let's do something a bit coordinated. <laughs> slapping people yeah. on the back and you know, <laughs> on the face before I, uh, you know, heavy one rep max deadlift, not listening to, uh, you know, like ambient in, you know, electronic music to chill you out. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the point. thing. Like people are, They'll put weightlifting shoes on, they'll put knee sleeves on, they'll put their lifting belt on, they'll put their wrist straps on, they'll put a headband on to do their squats after their 45 minutes of foam rolling to do their warm-up sets. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, if you do not have enough confidence to do a few warm-up sets without your stuff on, 
maybe you need to work on your squat form. You know, maybe it's, maybe you can't just outstretch that, you know, um, and generally those people that, you know, do that kind of thing. They've, they've picked a couple of stretches that like usually pigeon stretch, a couple of hamstring stretches that they do. Um, and that standing quad stretch that they'll do. And that's their, that's their mobility work. That's, that's what they've done. You know, you won't see them do a single lunge or split squat or anything like that. You know, anything that's actually going to take their joints through a full range of motion with stability and strength involved, you know? Um, and that's a big thing as well. A lot of people think that it is just stretching to improve your mobility. But it's like, no, you can, I could make an entire program. You wouldn't even know, that you were essentially working on improving your range of motion, but it will improve and your squat will improve. And I won't even have to get to do a single squat. Something there, there are two things that have been dancing all around a lot of what you said. One is just body awareness. So I wanted to mm. give you a chance to elaborate a little bit more on kind of your, I, how we can coach people to be more body aware. And, and then we could also tie in the concept of just practicing and being better at movement because a lot of what this is all about is just gaining better motor control. We gain yeah. range of motion with better motor control. We can move more low with better motor control. You're just practicing the movement. So fire away on that stuff. Two of the best things you can ever do is every morning work on your balance. If you go to our YouTube channel and you search Tom Morrison plate balance drill, search that. You can do it on your step in the house or you can do it on a yoga block in your fireplace. You limit the amount of foot that you have to balance on. So that it makes balancing harder. You see, can you accumulate one minute in your left leg, one minute in your right leg, and then one minute on both legs. But how often have you ever worked on your balance with both legs on the ground? It's kind of, it's kind of weird, you know? Um, but you've got to think about, you know, unilateral things and bilateral things. You also want to teach your body how to balance with both legs at the same time too. And that's how you essentially do that by limiting the amount of foot that you have. Start working on that every day until you find it easy that you could do nine minutes. So you could do minute left leg, minute right leg, minute both legs, and do that three rounds without having to you know, maybe have to set the foot down, you know, two or three times at most, but you're straight back up again, straight onto it. If you can barely make 15 seconds like that or 30 seconds, then it's just kinetic chains are not linking. You're just all the muscles. So people often ask, well, what muscle do I need to improve, use to, to improve to you know, make my balance better? It's like all of them. So balance for an extended period of time and you'll fix them. The next thing that you have that we didn't have um, back when I first started working on stuff was the phone, your front forward facing camera, film yourself when you do stuff. It is life-changing because <laughs> then you're actually able to go here, my arm's not over my head when I'm pressing or here, my back's rounding when I'm doing this. Film yourself from the front to see if you're pushing through one leg more than the other and you're going sideways. Film yourself from the side to see if your back's rounding when you're doing stuff. It goes for squats and deadlifts as well. You can launch a single leg deadlifts as well. If you can't keep a neutral spine when you're doing a single leg deadlift if you don't feel your hamstrings and you're doing a single leg deadlift that to me is a foundational movement because people always ask you know, what's what's the basics you know everyone says you need to focus on the basics and anytime i would say to them right what's the basics they'll be like uh squat bench deadlift and it's like that's powerlifting. that's not basics what's the basics and people can't give me a definitive answer so for me it is can you balance what can you balance all day long can you close your eyes and balance is it is it a task to you at all or do you find balance crazy easy yes great do your hips move in all the directions you need to be able to move? So when you start to, when you, instead of thinking about muscles, think about how the joint moves. It needs to be able to extend. It needs to be able to flex. It needs to be able to internally rotate. It needs to be able to externally rotate. You also want to have good strength with adduction and abduction as well. Most people get caught up with abduction and extension. So they do glute bridges and clamshells all day long. How often do you do a Copenhagen plank? It's like, oh, I'd have to get the bench out. Don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and that's what they miss. So they end up with a hip that's just not, complete because for example when you're squatting and you're coming back up 
you know, everyone's like, shove knees out, shove knees out, shove knees out. And all the corrective exercises for whenever your squat goes wrong and your knees are caving in is to put a band around your knees. What does that band do? It makes you have to force the knees into it so that you get more glute activation. What happens when you don't have the band? The adductors are the muscle that has to pull in so that the glutes have something to work with to pull out. And that's why you hear groin strains are so common because how often you ever hear of someone turn their glute? Not so often, but groin injuries all the time. And it's because people do not work on their groin. So if I'm analyzing someone's program, there's like 15 glute exercises in it. And I'm like, here, let's get rid of five of those. And we'll just put this adductor exercise in a few weeks time. Feel so much stronger, feel so much better. And it's like, yes, because you're appreciating how the hip actually moves instead of just going glutes, 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 extension, extension, extension. So um, upstream from that, you got to think about your upper back. So you've got to move your upper back, especially if you're sitting all the time. Think about thoracic extension. How do you achieve more thoracic extension through thoracic rotation? This is the secret to all mobility stuff. Do one side at a time. Okay. If you're working on your hips, work on one hip, then work on the other hip. And that's going to help you to assist to get in better positions. When you're trying to improve your thoracic extension, rotate to one side first, because you're going to get more range as you do one side and then rotate to the other side next. Take a deep breath in and then breathe out and try and pull yourself around further. And through rotation, you will improve your extension. It's something you should be doing every day. And um, it's something I put into all morning routines I ever do, thoracic rotation yeah. stuff. And that's what improves your thoracic extension. So if, you're short, if your upper back is sitting in a better position, if your ribs move well, you'll breathe better for one. Um, but then your scapula has the ability to move properly. So it's not going to get stuck on itself. The amount of people that I've met that have um, been told that they've got shoulder impingement, the amount of people I've met that have actually had surgery or were worked in for surgery for subacromial decompression that had never rotated their upper back is scary. I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, it's like, hang on, do this exercise every day for a few weeks for me. And I've had people actually cancel a surgery because they're like, it's by the way. And it's like, well, yeah, it means now that actually when you're extending your arms above your head, you're not actually running out of space because you're actually able to extend through your thoracic. That's where the rest of the range of motion comes from for your overhead position. If you really, really round your upper back and then try and raise your arms above the head, they get stuck. Whereas if you open up your upper back, that's where the extra range comes from. But everybody just stretches their shoulders and stretches their shoulders and stretches their shoulders. Then they make their shoulders too flexible. Then they lose stability. Then they're like, my shoulder hurts even more now. And that's where they go wrong. Whereas if they just focus on the upper back first, that was something that I actually learned um, for a name drop here from Max Shank. Um, Max Shank was a teenage contributor as well. Um, haven't seen him do anything for quite a while, actually. Got like primal, primal move or something from the last time. Um, but yeah, his first thing was like his simple shoulder solution, I think it was called, was work from the thoracic outwards. So the glenoid humeral joint is generally flexible enough. It moves enough. It's the most mobile joint that you have. It's the, the thoracic spine you start with, and then you work your way out from there. If everyone starts doing that every day, then they're generally going to have good posture. They're probably, every shoulder exercise they're going to do then isn't going to cause them any issues. Funny you mentioned Max Shank. I haven't thought of Max in a while. And you're right. He's an old longtime teenage guy. Hasn't anything with him in years. I got to meet him in 2017. He was a presenter at <clears throat> Luca's um, seminar uh, conference that uh, I've gone to a couple of times. And Max was great. He came out and played a, sax a song on a saxophone. Uh, as wow. his intro, apparently he learned how to do this in six weeks, right? It was something tied in. And of course, mm -hmm. it's one of the more memorable moments of that thing. Um, someone that, yeah, he's been very quiet. I don't think he really has much of a social media presence, but if you get back in his old stuff, it's pretty smart stuff. Mm -hmm. There was something else too with the, you know, poor thoracic mobility and ability to extend. Oftentimes people will go down and overcompensate with 
lumbar extension to gain yeah. range of motion too. We see it all the time with overhead stuff and that can lead to a array of problems. Again, the issues with your lower back, uh, like we were talking about before. Yeah, it's, it's all compensation. And that's, that's the thing. So like I was saying there about so balance, making sure your hips move like hips, making sure your upper back is well open and then moving your shoulder like a shoulder. So hips and shoulders, they're rotational joints. I'm sure Dean covered a ton of this stuff yesterday. Rotate your damn rotatables. That's the thing. You know, if something's designed to rotate, then you rotate it. The amount of people um, that I had when I sent the dumbbell shoulder rotation into T Nation, the amount of hate that I got for that movement was unreal. And it's like, okay, right. Okay, right. Let's break this down. Your rotator cuff, okay? I'm giving you an exercise that requires you to rotate at the shoulder or your rotator cuff. It's called the rotator cuff. That's dangerous. You're going to hurt this. You're going to hit that. You're going to... And like, you know, what are you going to do? Fix things with lateral raises? It doesn't, it doesn't connect anything. You know, people get so, um, something, something like I never use, you know, the Y's and the T's, those exercises, things like that. I, I've never needed to use them. If I give someone really good thoracic rotation exercises and really good rotational exercises for the shoulders, pretty much as long as they're doing good retraction stuff when they're training, um, you know, inverted ring rows is a really, really good one. Um, so any, any kind of horizontal rowing to pull the shoulders back more often, pretty much they're okay. They don't need to start delving into that stuff. And it's better that you have a joint that feels happier as a joint because that gives you more true strength. You know, the amount of people that I've got such quick wins with just from making their shoulder feel nice is insane. There's a guy who's a, a proper, proper Olympic lifter. Um, and he, he, every time he was snatching, it was like 120 kilograms above his head. So whatever it is in pounds, I'm not sure. <laughs> so it's well over 225. Like it's way, way more than that. Um, every time he's getting above his head, his shoulder would just cut out. He said, and he couldn't get it to stay there. And two weeks, I gave him a banded shoulder dislocates, just a rotational exercise and bottoms up kettlebell presses. And on one shoulder and his bottoms up kettlebell press, he could press way more than he could on the other. I was like, aha, there's something we can fix. Like I was saying earlier on, you look for the things that you can fix. You look for the challenge and you go, oh, I can balance that out. A few weeks time, it's 120, boom. And then he had another 10 kilo PR or something on top of that, which he hadn't even been training for just because his shoulder felt proper. And I was like, oh, I'm so happy for you. Cause he was the same weight class as me. And he just blew me out of the water. I was like, oh, okay. Just... <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, I'm so happy for you. But yeah, I was really, really jealous <laughs> at the same time. And um, so that was quite funny there, but yeah, it just shows the power when you start to make the joints feel good. Um, and, in general, and then even just every day when you're waking up in the morning, you're able to actually get out of bed and it doesn't take you 10 minutes to stand up straight. You know, things get pretty good. You know, you feel more inclined to train. And if you're not stiff and sore all the time, you feel more inclined to train. So that's where I like to float around with our content. You know, I'm, I'm not really interested in nutritional stuff. So I don't, you know, it's not my forte. It's not something I'm really interested in. But for me, if I can take the average person um, or someone that's ended up in a bit of a rut and been hurt and thought that they can't do anything and I can get them back into doing things that they love, that fires me up. That's what gets me going. Um, I really appreciate all of this stuff. Um, I hope everybody is like, oh shit, I got to go back and listen to that again. And even more so, I hope that they dive into more of your resources. So let's tell them where they can find more of your stuff. Um, TomMorrison.uk. Um, or if, if you're on YouTube, just search Tom Morrison will pop up. Um, same thing, social media stuff, just search Tom Morrison. Instagram's Tom Morrison Training. And we're on TikTok, TikTok now. We're keeping up with the kids, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's absolute madness trying to keep up with all the social media stuff. Um, 
So that's pretty much we are fully online. So we're, we do workshops or we're just online. So yeah, we're pretty active on social media and stuff. So if you send me a message, I'll pretty much get back to you pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, the website's tomwarson.uk. Um, in terms of like programming stuff, like um, all the stuff I covered there today, it's all in the simplistic mobility method, which is our main program, which is the basics that like I've explained there. It teaches you exactly what to look for, what to improve. And it's do this this many times in this order. Don't mess it up because if you say say your hips are rotated ever so slightly or hiked up on one side ever so slightly you can do all the planks all the pallet off presses in the world you're just strengthening that position whereas what you want to do is open up your hips first make sure everything's moving well then that's where your stability stuff comes in that's where your side planks come into play that's whenever you start to actually train your body oh this is a better position to be in so that's gets you out of that having to stretch all the time cycle so if you ever have anyone that um, has really really tight hip flexors for example they stretch the hip flexors every day, stretch hip flexors. And what do you do afterwards? Well, nothing. It's like, why don't you use the muscles on the other side? So why don't you do some glute work straight after you stretch your hip flexors? So you're using the range of motion and then it'll actually stick. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Then why don't you add some core work in with that after? So then your body goes, oh, let's keep up straight because it's a better place to be. My glutes actually work properly now. You know, that's the things that you want to, there is an order to do things. Um, and if you're not searching for that knowledge, you'll just find one movement at a time. So you'll just latch onto that and be like, oh, I need to stretch my hip flexor every day. It's like, there's a bit more you need to do than that. And in some cases, there's people doing way more than they need to of one thing, which is crazy. So um, yeah, that's all of our content is really designed to make it more simple like that. And to just go like, you know, to show you the bits that you've probably been missing. I certainly have got to go back and uh, dive into more of your T Nation articles too. So that's another place people can find you and read. Cause I'm like, Hmm, you've said some stuff here. I'm like, I'm going to take a look at the shoulder. Um, I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to pick up on stuff. It's why I go to seminars is why I steal an hour of your time and everybody else I'm picking up to get on here. So um, to thank Tom, everybody listening, <clears throat> I would say, go check out more of his stuff, go follow him on social media, dive in and reach out to him. If you have questions, uh, Tom, it's been a real pleasure to have you on my friend. If you are listening and you're someone who's finding my podcast for the first time, because you find it through Tom's media, um, scroll through the list of guests I've had in the past. We, we talked a little bit about Dean Somerset and mobility stuff. Um, and I got to shout out my uh, pal, Ben Mudge, who's another Northern Islander. Yes, well. yes. Ben's uh, amazing. <laughs> amazing human being. So I had him on not too long ago. I actually brought him into T Nation and had him do an article with me. And, and he's a really quality human. His whole oh, yeah. with, uh, with cystic fibrosis is just like inspiring. And he's mm. built like Thor. He literally looks like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. <laughs> which is one of the reasons why he got so famous. He had a, a, something go viral a long time ago. But a great human being. So uh, stick around. Check out some of the other stuff. Some of the other people I've uh, I've had on here. I've had a lot of the who's who of the industry. I just had Chris Duffin on, who's another cool character. Mm. And... Uh, thanks so much, Tom. I really appreciate you coming on and everybody listening. Uh, stay tuned for another great episode next week. Bye.